Today's episode is brought to you by Slate House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back for another episode of Slate House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor, and with me is my co-host and partner, Caitlin. Say hi. Hi. I really like when you say hi. Why is that? I, you know, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a thing. You know, I did this for like a year with Jeremy, and uh, nothing against Jeremy. I just, you know, I like looking at you a lot more than I like looking at Jeremy. That probably has something to do with the fact that we're married. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah, just comes down to that personal preference. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah. I like having you in the booth. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But you didn't bring any news this week. No, I couldn't really find anything. It's, you know, we've been here a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed. Not much has changed. <laughs> well, let me tell you, there's a lot that has changed in my neck of the woods. Uh, I've, I always have stuff that I want to talk about because books are always coming out. And I love books. So uh, today we are going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to head off with some news. We're going to talk about some recent events in the media. We're going to talk about what we've been reading. And we're going to talk about a book. Uh, The book we brought this time is A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Mm -hmm. So uh, without further ado, maybe let's uh, break into some news. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So a lot of stuff happened this week. Um, The biggest thing, I think, is a cover reveal that was made um, for Stacey Cade's Ghost Station. This is her new book. It's coming out April 2024. The cover is awesome. It's got like an astronaut in a space station and it looks like uh, something has maybe been eaten in the foreground. It looks uh, proper creepy. And I'm super excited about it. You can find those covers on uh, Nightfire's website. You can find them all over uh, Stacey Cade's socials. It's really exciting. I'm super excited about this book. You remember how I felt about uh, Dead Silence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited for this book. It, I'm I'm really, really excited for it. Uh, we have some other books Coming out in May and June, though, that I want to kind of drop some stuff that uh, I'm excited about that I want to pay attention to. First up is The Blighted Stars by Megan E. O'Keefe. This is a book that is coming out May 23rd by Orbit. Hey, that's that's today. Like recording date today. Today. Yeah, just came out. It looks really good. Um, It's about a spy who is stranded on a dead planet with her mortal enemy. And she, in order to survive, she has to figure out uh, how to survive before she can uncover the conspiracy that landed them both on this stranded planet together. I think it sounds pretty cool. Uh, One of the things I I know about Megan O'Keefe's stuff is that uh, literally every chapter will keep you guessing. She is a master at misdirection and she will feed you stuff and then you'll find out that it's a lie even just a moment later it's crazy um so definitely some uh action-packed writing there then june 6th we've got a couple of books coming out that i'm excited about first up is uh everything the darkness eats by eric la roca 
excuse me, I'm actually wrong. This is not coming out uh, June 6th. It's actually coming out June 13th. That was an announcement he made today. Um, but this is coming out from Clash slash Titan Books in the U.S. Um, and it is about an insidious darkness that threatens to devastate a rural New England village when occult forces are conjured and when bigotry is left unrestrained. Sounds good. Typical of this guy. It's all going to be weird, uh, kind of uh, uh, just bizarre, strange. He likes to push the dials out quite a bit. So I think this is going to be an interesting book. Uh, June 6th is also the release of Mave Fly by C.J. Lead. This is coming out uh, from Nightfire. It is a slasher riffing on American Psycho about a young woman who meets a man who inspires her to dark things. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty cool. Not going to lie. The cover's wild. It's like a woman licking an eyeball in front of a bunch of teeth or something. It's crazy. That sounds creepy. It does sound creepy. She's going to be at StokerCon. Mm-hmm. So you can bet I'm going to bring my book to go get signed. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, also coming out from Nightfire in June, June 20th, is Night's Edge by Liz Karen. Uh, this is a woman with a vampire for a mother uh, who copes with her mother's secret and her desire to break off into a new life. I've been reading this book as a, a kind of preview. Uh, I I received an advanced reviewer copy just out of nowhere. I was super excited about it. And uh, I've been reading it, and it's so good. The character work is seriously impressive. Um, I love the premise of, like, my mom's a vampire. And I just think this book is amazing. So very excited for that release in June. Um, also coming out June 20th from Scribner is 19 Claws in a Blackbird stories by Agustina Basterica, who we know mm-hmm. wrote, uh, uh, Tenders the Flesh, mm-hmm. like your favorite horror book ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's got a short story collection coming out June 20th, um, from Scribner and then, Finally, two more books in June 20th. Uh, the Only One Left by Riley Sager. This is coming out from Berkeley. This is a gothic chiller about a young caregiver assigned to work for a woman accused of a Lizzie Borden-like massacre decades earlier. And lastly, You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight by Kaylin Bayron. June 20th from Bloomsbury, YA. It's a teen slasher set at Camp Mirror Lake. So like mm. kind of a summer teen slasher. Um, and a, a, it's been described as a, kind of her take on, on like a fear street kind of story. So interesting. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. If you are interested in Slayhouse stuff, our summer is jam packed. We're going to StokerCon. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait. I am, like, blowing up about going to StokerCon. Um, we're going to meet a whole bunch of people. I have some plans to try to talk to some people for our social media accounts. Um, but also, I'm just I'm looking forward to catching up with some of these writers and uh, just spending some time getting to know them and sitting on 
panels listening to people talk about horror. I just cannot wait. Uh, Jeremy and I have been building out our flight itinerary and everything over the last couple of days. And I'm just ecstatic about that. But we've also got a huge uh, slot of authors coming on the show starting just next week. So next week, we're going to have Daniel Krauss, mm-hmm. who just wrote Whalefall. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing book. I am so excited about Daniel Krauss. You don't even know. Um, also on the horizon, we're working on getting Liz Karen to come on the show to talk about Night's Edge and all of those uh, vampire goodies. Uh, we've got Philip Fricasse later in June, along with Casey Jones. Uh, both of them have written for Nightfire. Uh, Philip Fricasse, he's got uh, The Boys in the Valley coming out in July, July 11th, I think is that date. And Casey Jones wrote uh, Black Tide, which came out last year and was a very good book, a book that I just absolutely devoured. We've also got a little later this summer in July, we've got Cat Silva and on our docket for August, Desiree Nicoli. So. Which I cannot wait for. Lots of fun stuff. Really cool stuff. Can't wait to get to those interviews. And I hope that if you are a subscriber to us, tell your friends. We're going to have some fun author interviews this summer. Um, this is going to be the summer of Slay House. I, I'm really looking forward to it. And then uh, in the media this week, we had a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, uh, including a newly launched AI tool called PseudoWrite, which is uh, intended as a writing aid, quote unquote, uh, to help a lot of authors uh, build out their their books boasts that it'll let you finish a novel in uh, the shortest time ever because it's an AI writing tool. You just feed it prompts or whatever and it spits back to you, uh, you know, basically a novel. Um, It has come into attention because the owner or founder of this particular technology came out and said that it was trained with the assistance of hundreds of novelists, mind you, hundreds of novelists that he would not name. And in the aftermath of this revelation, there have been a number of different writers who have come forward to say that their work was fed into this AI algorithm for feedback on some of the submissions that they made to various uh, magazines or, or publishing calls um, against their wishes. So they, they did not consent to having their, uh, their stories scraped by an AI, but it was kind of done anyway. And this AI writing tool also scraped the internet for a bunch of fan fiction. And that's kind of how, uh, people are, are, alleging that this machine, uh, you know, did all of its machine learning to to build the vocabulary to be able to, you know, flush out a supposed novel uh, based on the prompts that you give it. So I pitched to you, Caitlin, how do you feel about this development? Well, I think this goes along a lot with what we talked about last episode um, about AI and art. Um. 
it's definitely not okay to steal somebody else's art. Um, I mean, especially with it being AI, you know, just because it's not a human being doesn't make it okay. Well, and that's kind of the question, right? Is an AI – I mean, we, we call it AI, which insinuates, you know, artificial intelligence. Like there's some kind of intelligence going on but here. But there's human behind it. Well, uh, I mean, the human that had to give it the permissions to to steal the mm. the books, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and the fan fiction. right. Uh, this kind of uh, comes down with you know because there's this idea with with any new technology, right? Like as we adapt to the technology, what is the human influence on it? So uh, in the episode that. Uh, Colin and I hosted with Bethany Cole, you know, we talked a lot about like the decisive moment of photography and, and how photography is really like, can you create art through something that is just capturing the world around you, right? Like what is the artistic um, kind of idea? And it, it comes down to how you make decisions, right? How you build um, a, a kind of scene and then how you capture that decisive moment. Like you as the human being have to be the one to make the decision of what to keep or what to snap and how to frame that, right? So there's decision making in that process. With AI, I don't think there is decision making of the same caliber, because even though you can tell this artificial intelligence or whatever, which is not true AI, I want to get back to that idea. But, you know, you, you can tell it, give it parameters or whatever, and then it spits something out to you. And, and, and to a certain extent, you can be like, oh, well, I was the one who gave it the parameters to spit this stuff back out to me. The problem is that AI is not actually generative. It's, it's just regurgitative, right? Mm -hmm. So all it's doing is just scraping up someone else's information, someone else's style, someone else's, uh, uh, you know, wordplay. And then it's recombining that and just spitting it back at you. So that's what I mean is like there's a human behind it who's right. giving it the permissions to scrape well, together. There's not in this case, right? In this case, like the AI is not receiving permission from any of these writers who put their stuff out there under their own names or under their, their pen names or whatever. I mean, know. not permissions from the writers themselves, mm -hmm. but wherever they got the information. Like, the AI has no conscience to know ethically this is not right. Right. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is that it's, it's stealing from someone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It It is stealing from someone. And and furthermore, this particular, you know, pseudo right, for example, um, yeah, it, like it it sources its information quite unethically, right? Like if it's, it's scraping someone's fan fiction or something like that without attribution and not, not even saying like, you know, these are the, the figures that figured into – um, how this this operates. And and the AI isn't going to tell you where it's scraping information from either. It's not going to tell you... Because it's been programmed to do that, right? Exactly. It's just it's just recombining a whole bunch of different like pieces, like a Frankensteinian monster here. But it can't make decisions on its own. This is the thing that really frustrates me. It's like it doesn't have agency over... Um, necessarily over the, the choice of information, right? It's just scraping 
and taking existing information again, right, without the consent of those creators, those authors, and serving up something that is cobbled together from their labor, their work. It is not generating or crafting anything on its own because it is not creative. Yeah. And so I have a huge problem with this because in the effort to to say like, you know, we're basically taking away decision points from authors by turning it over to um, the machine, which is just going to cobble together stuff that someone else has done. So you're not even as a human being like doing the authentic labor of creating this art. And moreover, this tool is seen as a means of basically circumventing the need for a creator at all. And I have a huge problem with that. Well, I mean, if we go back to the point that it doesn't have the ability to create these things on its own, if we didn't have the creator to begin with, where would it come up with these ideas? Right. Well, it could, it couldn't it, steal from nothing. It, there would exactly. have to be a creator to begin with. Yeah. So the creator will always, in essence, in, in this idea, it will still need to be there. But... Mm -hmm. You're saying the AI is not the creator. Is no, yeah, we are the creator. The human beings are right. the creator. But what you're saying is, is if you know, if they're just going to give the credit to the AI, why do we need the creator? Is kind of what I'm taking. From right, that. and that's the that's the the market, right? That's the capital market that is seeking to to supplant human labor, right? Human creators, human art, with stuff that is generated by non-human hands. The reason for that being uh, profit margins. If I don't have to pay you for work, right? If I don't have to pay you for writing something, then I can just have uh, a machine scrape the internet for, you know, stuff that's previously been published somewhere. And I can, because, you know, you can't prove that I took this idea or that idea or whatever, because uh, there's no attribution involved, you know. Now I can uh, create a script that I'm not responsible for paying any human for, and I can pocket all the money. I think that'll work for so long until people start noticing the <laughs> the plagiarism and the. Oh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I I think it's absolutely. I've heard this script obscene. about ten times now. I think the robots <laughs> right. they don't have any original content. <laughs> right, they don't have any original content. That's exactly right because it, it can't make original ideas. It can only regurgitate ideas that it's seen from other places. So I think if that's their plan, but does that I matter? Think they will learn pretty quickly. It's a bad idea. You would think, but but then again, like you know, if there's a market for it, like what I'm saying is like if we as consumers of media. Uh, just buy into it. Hopefully we're smart and we don't. I mean, one would hope. One would hope that we're smart enough to, to see that, that, you know, this is bullshit. But I, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence. This is this is me with my pessimistic brain. I don't have confidence that uh, the, the quote unquote market is going to decide that. I don't have confidence that people who artistic people are generally intellectuals. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hopefully we uh, stand up for ourselves. I think that artistic people will stand up for themselves. But will the people who just sit around with their MAGA hats and worship the free market, are they the ones who are going to be like, 
I'm not. I'm putting my foot down. I'm not going to go see a robot written Marvel movie, right? Or is it going to be like, like, is that going to happen, or are they going to be like, oh yeah, f- f- fuck the Hollywood elite. I'm going to go watch a movie that wasn't made by anybody. It's just robots. I don't know. Maybe when they learn why we've started hiring the robots, you know, less human pay means more money for the rich. I mean, all, you, all that you, all that bullshit. Do you think your average <laughs> do you think your average like like uh person out here in the boonies gives a shit about that? I mean, people out in the boonies know, but I mean, the smarter Republicans, they will I mean, when they catch on, we might be in trouble. You get what I'm saying? When they realize, oh, yeah, more money for the rich. Yeah, let's stop paying people to do something simple like write a script. I think we're already there. I, th- I think that's exactly what happens or or what is happening. I think that the, the, the political right have already seen stuff happening with, like, this writer's strike, right? And they think that the people who are striking are like, Oh, well, you're just like a millionaire. You're just like, you know, this rich Hollywood elite and not, you know, people living in an apartment who can barely afford their apartment, you know, writing these shows. Like, I don't think they realize that uh, they are far closer in in terms of their wage range, right, to the writers in the room than they are uh, the, the executives at the top of that that scaffold yeah maybe you're right i'm just saying i i think that the average man has more more in common with uh you know the the people that they're like yeah let's shit on writers i think they have more in common with that person than they do with like donald trump or something ron DeSantis. yeah they're they're closer i think in 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 just about every way um, than they are to, you know, some of these other figures. I, I, I just, I don't know, I scratch my head and I just think, like, it's it's kind of nightmarish to see all of the blue checks who are like, yeah, let's give Elon Musk $8 a month for this free fucking app that doesn't even work. And they're like, screw you, Hollywood elite. I want the next Terminator movie written by a robot without, like, without seeing the irony there at all. Yeah. Bizarre world. I'm frustrated by it. Yeah. It it it, bo- it bugs me a lot. It's been on my mind a lot lately. And the bullshit, the bullshit of the pseudo right. Oh, we trained our AI with with uh, hundreds of novelists. Who the fuck are you fooling? Where name the novelists? Tell me one self-respecting novelist who was like, you know what I'm gonna do with my book? I'm gonna trade it. Machine, I want to teach you how to write. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think that happens. Well, that's uh, in the media today. Tell me, Caitlin, what have you been reading recently? Um, I have read, other than the book I am currently reading, and the book that we read for our podcast today, I've only read one other book. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy week. Um, 
I read um, Song of Lorelei. Ooh. By Desiree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Desiree M. Nicoly. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was definitely that was a five-star read. So hit us up. What What is the premise of Song of Lorelei? Um, it picks up right where book one left off. Um, uh-huh. Called from the deep. Uh, yeah, called to the deep. Or called to the deep, yeah. Um, continues Lorelai and Killian's story. They're now engaged. Ooh, I like that. That's fun. And um, they are trying to cure the um, mermaids, Lorelai herself. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I should say Lorelai included. They're mm-hmm. trying to cure them of their um, hunger for humans. Oh. Um, and they've found out that... That it's like a, um, it's like a human version of rabies. Okay. Um, that's a that's a very common trope. I think we talked about that trope in uh, uh, when we talked about Richard Richard Matheson's work with uh, what was that stupid book? I am Legend. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're working on um, finding a cure for that with um, her. Um, friend that is a, um, I believe she's a, Desiree, don't kill me if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe she's a, uh, she's working with microbiologists. She works at the museum. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So a microbiologist trying to help the, she's the mermaids kind of like curb their, curb yeah. their hunger. Interesting. That's a cool premise. Um, How's the spice? The spice goes up in this one. It went oh, from really? a two to a three. Ooh, yeah. all right. So it gets spicier. That's uh, We determined a three is kind of the, the subway grate. It's like, ooh. You and your ooh. weird <laughs> spice level indicators. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of middle of the road because, you know, it's one to five. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting up there. Yeah. Um, a healthy amount of spice. healthy amount of spice, yes. Okay, all right. It was good. Very good. But yeah, it just continues their story. Cool. And I look forward to to talking all the nitty gritty details with Desiree in August. I'm I'm sure she's looking forward to to it as well. Yeah. 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 August. I'm I'm pretty excited for you and Eva. We haven't met Eva on the show yet. Uh, she's going to be there for um, the uh, interview we do with Daniel Krause next week. Um, she's going to join me for Daniel Krause and Philip Fricasi, I think. Um, I'm not sure she's going to be there for Casey Jones, but I believe she's going to be there for Desiree and likely Cat Silva too. Yeah. And then I am currently reading. I'm probably about sixty percent through it. Um, Chlorine by Jade Song. Uh huh. It's another mermaid book. How is this one? Um, so far I would give it a three between three and four. Spice level or no, or just it's uh, like quality? No spice. Oh, I quality. see. Okay, I got you. Yeah. This is another mermaid book. Yeah, it's a mermaid book. What's We're, the basic premise? Uh, basic premise: um, Asian American girl um, in high school. Um, she's a swimmer. She literally thinks she's destined to be a mermaid because she's just meant to be in the water. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't we all had that feeling yeah. once once upon a time? Yeah. And like, man, if only I could sing. Yeah, if only I could sing. <laughs> but like, I think the reason I haven't decided if it's a three or a four yet, and I'm kind of confused. Like, it's a really good book. I like. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a very coming of age. Um, 
like we go through puberty with her and it's very interesting like she has that weird relationship with her her swim coach he's a male you know he she met him when she was like younger when she was about seven or eight and then she you know becomes a teenager and her body's developing and she's like he kind of crosses that line of you know is he a sexual pervert you know should he be touching her the way that he does you know um so we kind of see that relationship um and then you know she gets her period and that's awkward for her and because you know she was raised in a very weird household with her mother and um she like gets her first quote-unquote boyfriend and um her first best friend on the swim team who's kind of obsessed with her and Mm. um but what's got me confused is i can't tell if because she kind of jumps back and forth in the story um where she's kind of telling the story from her perspective of now being a mermaid Mm -hmm. she's like this is my story of how i became a mermaid Mm. and and I can't tell if she literally is a mermaid, just telling you her story of how she got there, or if she just thinks she's a mermaid, <laughs> how yeah. we all kind of do yeah, when yeah, you yeah. love to swim so much. Right, right, right. So it's like, I'm interested to see where it goes, Where it, it goes, because like, re- I just read a part in the book where she's a junior in high school, and there was a really big swim meet, and she, for some reason... She got disqualified because in the last lap, she, her feet are supposed to, because she does the, I believe it's the breaststroke, her feet are supposed to stay together, kind of like mermaid fins. Right. And they came apart, and so she got disqualified. Mm. And so as kind of punishment and as training for the next swim meet, her coach, like, rubber banded her ankles, from her ankles all the way up to her thighs, so that when she swam in practice... her legs were forced to stay together Mm. and she was like oh it just became so natural it was almost like you know i had a mermaid Mm -hmm, fence and mm -hmm, blah 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 blah." mm -hmm. interesting and so and now she's like she asked her mother to teach her how to sew so she can sew herself up i don't know if she's gonna sew herself into like cloth Uh like fins Uh or if she's literally gonna go as far as like fucking sew her legs together oh yeah kind of scared that's crazy (laughs) i'm I'm really kind of scared (laughs) it's uh, that's some like crazy body horror right there and like her best friend on the swim team is like she's got an unhealthy sexual obsession with her and like there are these chapters where it's like she's right now a mermaid it's present tense Mm. and she's writing her a letter Mm. like the chapter is her is a letter like you're reading the letter that she's written to her uh-huh. and she's put it in a bottle and she's thrown it out into the water where she knows that she will find it because she knows she swam away because she's a mermaid and so i'm like is she actually reading these letters <laughs> because she's really a mermaid and she swam away or does this crazy chick just think she kind of swam weird, away? Yeah, you know, weird fantasy sort of thing. I'm just like, I'm really anxious to, to see <laughs> yeah. how this book goes because I don't know. It's either going to go the way we expect it or something completely. Yeah, different. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I also read a, a mermaid book. 
uh, for May, right? Because it's Mermay. 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 Um, yeah, I read a, a book called uh, The Salt Grows Heavy by Cassandra Kaw. This came out in May um, from uh, from actually it may have been. No, I think it was like the first week of May or something like that uh, from Nightfire. Um, it is about a mermaid who uh, meets this plague doctor who's kind of like a Frankensteinian construction. You know, like they are a, a cobbled together person. Uh, anyway, the, the mermaid and the plague doctor run into a colony or a uh, I don't know, a, a group of uh, like immortal children that are a lot like the plague doctor. And they are like these three sages who uh, claim to kind of be immortal. And so there's kind of this weird trauma angle where the plague doctor identifies that they likely originated from these same sages um, and wants to take them down because they don't want anyone to, to have to relive this cycle of trauma. So on the one hand, it's kind of an, uh, an adventure to try to take down these three sages, but it's also um, kind of a, a love story of this relationship between the plague doctor and the mermaid. It is gory as fuck, and uh, it really is. There are a couple of parts where it's just like, wow, that was a lot. Um, but it has this gorgeous prose, uh, and it's very short. It's only like 106 pages or something. Um, so it's a you know a novella. Uh, it was great. It was really, really good. And I really loved the kind of twist on the, the mermaid lore because um, the mermaid in this – case is kind of alleged to be like an aerial kind of mermaid, except it's much more like, um, you know, if Prince Eric were like a sadistic jerk <laughs> instead of, you know, really nice. <laughs> um, it's a great book, though. I I absolutely loved it. I think it's probably the best novella of the year. Like if if I had to roll the dice, my money would probably be on this being the best novella of this year. Uh, I don't think that it is one that you should miss. I think, you know, maybe go drop 20 bucks and get yourself this novella. It's really good. Oh, speaking of mermaids, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but talking, I don't know what. Anyway, um, the girl in the book, Wren, that's her name. She is also obsessed with mermaids. Like her mm -hmm. mother gave mm -hmm. her a book of mermaids when she was a small child. And you think that's, like, further evidence that, like, maybe it's just her making it up in her head? Yes. She, like, has read this one book of mermaids her entire life, and now she has, like, this shrine of mermaid posters on her wall. And I even, I'm not shitting you, the last part that I read, she even went as far as, I'm not joking, you're going to laugh, she ate one of the posters because she wanted... <laughs> To like, I don't even know that's, how to describe That's really, it. really funny. Yeah. She, she like ate it because she wanted. You, you manifest your dreams. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of funny. That's, that's yeah. uh, really interesting. It sounds like an interesting book. I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'll ever get to read it this year, but 
you know, maybe. I mean, I know you said you wanted to read it, but I do want to read it. But you know, I don't know. I'm I'll, I'm like drowning in stuff that I got to read. Like our TBRs are never ending. It's never ending, and it doesn't help that I reach out to so many authors. I'm like, hey, you want to go to, go be on the show? And uh, this is not me complaining, by the way. Um, but they they're like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm, I get really excited, and I'm like, yes. But, but then I realize they're like, like oh, shit, shit. I gotta I have read, to read all I these books. Read all these books. <laughs> <laughs> I never regret it. I never regret reading the books. It just means that, like, you know, the other stuff um, kind of it, it has to get kicked aside. Like I've been reading uh, Mothered by Zoya Stage. It came out last last month. And I was so excited. I really loved it. And then um, I heard from Liz Karen's uh, publicist. <laughs> they were like, yeah, you want to do an interview? And I'm like, yes, I fucking want to do that interview. I really want to do that interview. But that means I have to drop Mothered entirely so I can focus on this other book because I only have a week to read it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just get into that crunch mode, you know. Uh, again, I don't regret that. I don't regret reading it. This book, Night's Edge, is so good. And Mothered is really good, too. Like, it's a real, it's a, they're both fantastic books. It just means that, um, you know, stuff like chlorine, well, I'll never get to that. <laughs> like, you know, maybe in August or something when when things have kind of settled. Um, I did read two other books, though. Um, I read Boys in the Valley by Philip Fricasse. Um, holy shit. Holy shit. What a book. This is about a group of orphans at uh, the very, like, the, the dawn of the 20th century. Um, they're in Pennsylvania at a Catholic orphanage. And uh, they have some difficulty with the clergy there who are quite abusive. They all come from different problems already. I mean, they're orphans. They carry their trauma. Um, and they encounter... Uh, a man, one night a man is brought in um, by the local sheriff who they believe to be is possessed. And uh, the demon that possesses them gets loose in the orphanage amongst the boys. And suddenly they start drawing up lines against one another um, of those who might pledge fealty to a little bit of chaos and those who might pledge fealty to religious order. It's fucking wild. It is absolutely brutal. The emotional stakes are clear and real. There's a great conversation about kind of like, uh, what is the duty that you have to, to, to others around you? How do you like confront and deal with trauma? What is the appropriate response to abuse? Um, it's, it's just kind of wild. And I... I, I knew going in it was going to be scary. It's fucking scary. <laughs> it's more than I probably anticipated it being. Um, but I also was not expecting to just feel so much emotion for the characters and to be so invested in their problems and the way that this book kind of thinks about trauma and thinks about relationships, you know, of people, um, you know, I expect in every conversation there's going to be a conversation about faith. I did not expect this book to be so kind of um, – call it realistic about uh, faith and the power of 
of uh, quote-unquote divinity. It's, it, I, it's got so much stuff in here. Um, I, I don't want to spoil everything. I don't want to give it all away. Um, but it's fucking phenomenal. I blew me away. I was just like, this this book is so good. Uh, again, I think that's coming out July 11th from Nightfire. And we're going to have Philip Fracassi on the show. I'm going to talk to him about this very fucking wild book. And uh, I hope you'll turn in for those or for, for that interview because uh, I think it's going to be really cool. And then the, the last book that I read was uh, episode 13 by Craig DeLuey. This came out in January earlier this year. Uh, it is about a group of paranormal investigators who go into a house trying to determine whether or not it is haunted, and they discover a door to the spirit world that uh, they don't know how to deal with. It is an epistolary novel, which means that it's kind of a collection of like journal and diary entries. It's got some parts that are like parts of the script um, that are taken from the episode footage that these, you know, people kind of construct. So it acts kind of like a found footage film, like Blair Witch Project or something like that. If you've ever seen uh, that movie. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you, you kind of get the vibe of like, some people holding up a camera in the dirty woods. It's it's a similar vibe. Um, a lot of the story is told through like, here's a transcript of part of this video, and uh, it was a it was an interesting experience. I admit that uh, the the actual plot of the book kind of lost me in the weeds a little bit. I felt like it went into its own like weird space. It's weird fiction for sure. Um, and I, it it just lost me in the in the reads a little bit with the plot, but other than that, um, I really loved the epistolary stuff. I'm a sucker for an epistolary novel. Like if you give me a book that's just a collection of um, you know letters from one character to another, or you give me a text that does not look like just straight narration, you know, you give me mm-hmm. something that, that's like text messages. Or you tell a story through a script style. I'm a sucker for that shit. Like, I latch on to that stuff. I love it. Um, and so this this book really gave me that experience of a found footage novel, which is a, a unique reading experience for me. You know, I've read only a, a handful of books like that. And some of, sometimes I think it works really, really well. Like in this case, I felt like it worked really well. Other times, it, again, it loses me in the experience, like House of Leaves. I don't, mm-hmm. That's not a book you read. I think it's just a book you experience. And I, I don't care for House of Leaves all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I, gave it, uh, I gave it three out of five stars. Um, definitely one that I liked. But I also think, like, your mileage may vary on this. Uh, if you're into a kind of found footage novel and you're up for that experience, go for it. Um, I, like I said, I I didn't connect with the plot as much. It just kind of lost me a little bit. But I also think that's me. You know, I, I think my experiences and my expectations for literature are going to be different. And so if you're at all interested in this, I think it's worth checking out. It's a really unique experience that I really enjoyed. And um, I 
am looking forward to reading some more Craig DeLuey. I have another one of his books uh, sitting on my TBR, so maybe I'll get to that uh, on like a plane flight or something. I don't know. So uh, that's what I've read recently. Let's talk about today's conversation piece, which is A Psalm for the Wild Build by Becky Chambers. Um, This was published by Tor.com, I think in 2021. So it's pretty recent. It is a novella in a duology so far um, called the Monk and Robot series. Uh, This discussion is going to be just laden with spoilers. So I'm going to give you five seconds, listener, to duck out before we really just dive in and kind of spoil this book. So if this is something that you're interested in reading before we have a discussion, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. This, this episode will be around. We'll see you in just a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Hey, you yeah. want to describe this book to us? Why do you always make me describe the book? Uh, because you're, you're better at it. You think I'm better at it? Yeah. Well, ask me if I'll describe the book and I'll describe the book. Will you describe the book? Yes, I will. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) We really should script this part. (laughs) Uh, So the short summary, this is a book about a monk um, in in a future kind of utopia. Um, This is definitely a post-capital society where they've kind of figured out their shit. Um, The notion is that human society created robots to do a bunch of their labor for them. And as the robots became sentient and uh, self-aware, they were kind of given uh, the choice, like, you know, what do you want to do? And they said, well, uh, we kind of don't like what you've made us for, for all this labor. We're not really invested in human labor. So uh, y'all can figure that out. We're going to go fuck off in the woods for a couple hundred years. And uh, (laughs) yeah, bye-bye. And human society was just kind of like, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. We value that. <laughs> you can have your peace. And so human society goes its own way. Um, and robot society goes its own way. And humans have kind of agreed, like, we're not going to wreck um, the ecology of this little planet. Right. Like, it's our mission to really build a more egalitarian society. So we take up several hundreds of years after the separation of these robots from human society. There is a... a a human named Sibling Dex, and Dex is not really sure what they want to do with their lives, um, just kind of morose about it, uh, decides that they want to take up becoming a tea monk, which in this society is a kind of traveler who goes around to different human settlements and serves delicious tea, relaxing tea, Um for any of your woes. It's just a place where you can kind of come get a little bit of therapy, if you will, by talking to somebody who's uh, able to to kind of field your questions, your problems, and serve you comfort in the form of tea. And uh, and Sibling Dex has a bit of a problem of their own where they are not sure what they contribute to society and what they are supposed to do, what their purpose is. So they go on a self uh, kind of a self-finding, self-efficacy mission where they run into a robot named Mosscap, 
in the robot is curious about what human society has been up to for the last several hundred years, uh, kind of meets Dex, sees like, hey, I want to learn more about human society from you, Dex. Let's uh, let's pal around. Let's be friends. And Dex is kind of unsure whether or not they want to be friends with this robot, but whatever. They pal around. And uh, that's, that's the gist of the story, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So... What are your first thoughts about this book? What what kind of struck you? What what stood out? Mm, I remember telling you I loved how the world was written. Like I remember describing how it Dex uh, was seeing the world. It described the the trees. Um, their toes mingling together. Um, mm, yeah. You remember that part? Yeah, the prose is really good. Um, absolutely. So Becky Chambers has some great prose here. Ways of describing the world, like you say, in very creative ways that are still evocative of a real space. Yeah, it was very calming. Mm. Made me want to go on my own self-exploration. Mm-hmm. There's a focus on nature here that I think is really uh, like for me is is relatable to a lot of uh eastern literature. Uh, yeah. This is me with my world lit hat over here. Um a lot of uh classical Chinese poetry, a lot of classical Japanese poetry are all very much centered on nature and our relationship to the natural world because it equates the natural world as as being um you know part of of human life and human existence human society shouldn't supersede the natural world but rather human human society should be um kind of dictated by the natural world that, that there's a a kind of oneness a flow if you will um through through nature and our connection to nature so Natural landscapes and and natural spaces feature in very prominently in a lot of Eastern religion and Eastern philosophy uh, and Eastern literature. So I got a great sense of that. You know, this idea of like being one with with the natural world around you. This you know idea of Zen. We're here to get closer to the world, not to conquer it. I think, too, this speaks to, like, the utopian society that they they create. I mean, did you get a sense for the utopian in this story at all? Mm-hmm. What stood out to you there? Like, what were some of the, the highlights that you felt or that you noticed? Putting me on the spot again. You should know by now. This is how, this is how I think <laughs> about stuff. This is how stuff. you work. Well, give me some of your examples, and maybe it'll make it'll trigger. All right. So I like I I think a lot of like the utopian in opposition to what a dystopia would be. You know, a utopian society is one that I think is fairer to human life, and a dystopia is one that I think exacerbates the problems of human society. So you can have a dystopia that's like um, hyper-violent, right? 
you can have a dystopia that is um, all about like like just constant exploitation. So you think of like the Hunger Games is mm-hmm. a dystopia, right? And in the Hunger Games, it's really like the consolidation of power into the hands of a few um, over the lives of many. So you have all of these different districts and they labor for the the powerful in the the center, right? Whatever. What do they call that in Pan Am or whatever? I don't remember what it's called. I don't know. I the capital. The capital. Yeah, yes. They call it the capital. So you have all of these people who live in like studious excess in the capital and their lives are so unbelievably different from the people who are working like – District 12 or whatever, you know, like the, the the districts all labor and they're they're trod upon by this fascist organization, which is just there to take the fruits of their labor and, and feed it to the few who are the ones who lord power. Right. Or rule. Um, that's an example of, of a dystopia that is really just an exacerbation of, of capitalism, because if you listen to Marx, Marx is all like like capitalism is a dystopia. It is mm-hmm. it literally sitting there so someone can take the value of their labor for personal enrichment. And, and by by its nature, capitalism can only function so long as you have a laborer who is being exploited by the bourgeois, right, the ones that control um, the, the, the production of goods. So, um, yeah, like in, in a system like that, the system is inequality. The, the main feature, the main function of that system is inequality. If you do not have inequality, then the, the system can't function. So in capitalism, you have to exploit workers in order to create excess revenue or, or excess, you know, the profit. Yep. You pocket the, the excess value of what is created. That's the whole point. And, and so you have to have inequality. It cannot function without inequality. Well, a utopian society then would be a, a society that can only function based on equality, right? You know, yep. something like that. Um, and I think that in this case, you know, the utopian is, uh, you know, for example, there's there's really no talk of of um, some some money is exchanged. I think, right? Um, My mind kind of goes to like after he's been doing it for a while. He's been on the road. They. I keep saying he. Yeah. I apologize. Dex is they. Dex, Dex, Dex is, is uh, uh, non-binary. Non-binary. I yeah. apologize about that. They, when they have been on the road for a while, um, and they've established, kind of made a name for themselves, and they're in that one central little town, um, mm-hmm. and they're in the market. Uh huh. Yeah. And. They go and get their daily spices and veggies and right. and, and their fruits and everything. Um, is that kind of where your mind is going? Yeah, like, like there there is like a market, right? There is like an exchange of goods and services, but there, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like it's for the purpose of of profit over no. other people. It's it's more like an accounting for what is what goes where. Yeah. Right. And uh, on the other hand, it's it's like Dex provides service to people 
um, by showing up with all of this uh, this tea and the knowledge of tea yep. and serves the people. And, and in return, the people give back to Dex what Dex needs in order to continue to persist. Yes, so that's the way this, that I took it. It's kind of a give and take. Yeah, there's kind of like this exchange of, of uh, services and this exchange of, of everything. Um which I think is is really utopian, yeah. and and two, you know the the nature, the the relationship to nature. I mean, there's this respect for the natural landscape, and there's this kind of tacit agreement, like robots will go off and do their thing. They'll they'll live in nature, um, and humankind will leave most of the planet. I think fifty percent of the planet uh, completely untouched. Um, and and they're there to be stewards, good stewards of the planet, not to exploit it for natural resources. Remember when Dex refused to go off of the road? Right. He was like, I apologize, I did it again. They. Yeah. They refused to go off. I, I, I do the same thing for Moss Cap because Moss Cap is an it. Yeah. And, and yet I get that messed up all the time. Uh, they refused to go off where there was no trail. Right. Because to do so would, like, would kind of break this yeah. this kind of like unspoken agreement. It would break up agreement. nature. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It was like trampling the grass and right. You know. Right. And she's like, "No, I can't." Right. Right. The the oneness is super important. Yeah. But then you know, there's also Moss Cap who comes out, and Moss Cap really is kind of like <laughs> like Zen with everything. Like Moss Cap just kind of accepts this is the natural flow of things, you know. I don't care if there's a bug in me because uh, bugs are just a part of the, of life. The bug can do whatever it wants. That scene cracked me up. Oh, it's so funny. You you bug. know there, there's a bug crawling in. Yep. Yep. I'm aware. I'm aware. It's fine. <laughs> I just love that that <laughs> acceptance, right, of, of like this is just kind of how things are. That's okay. It's all right for that. Um. So I, I it's very utopian in that. You know, it's it's kind of like human needs are met. But that's not to say that there is no conflict because there is conflict in this world. And the conflict in this particular story shows up in the difference between Dex's wants and Dex's needs, you know, and, and, and what Dex is able to accomplish for themselves. Dex is kind of plagued by this idea of like the purpose. They have to have purpose. What is the purpose of life? Where do you find your purpose? And I think that this is an interesting question for a number of reasons. For one, I think we've all been taught that human life must have purpose. And if it doesn't have – this is like a religious ideal, right? Because if human life has no purpose, then why are we here? This is the the philosophical conundrum of all of human life. What is our purpose? And if we don't have a person purpose, why are we here? That's what I think is what fuels us. To get our careers, you know. Well, and that's that's further compounded, I think, by the problems of capital. Yeah. In a capitalist system, we're always told, we're constantly being told, produce or die. Produce or die, reproduce or die. You have to feed back into the system or otherwise the system doesn't work. If you're not being ex- exploited or you're not exploiting someone else, the system falls apart. So we're constantly kind of bombarded with this idea like you have to be the thing. You have to be, uh, you know, hustling uh, all the time, every time. Anytime you do something, you got to hustle. Do you know how many times someone has asked me, 
someone, I mean, like my parents, you know, asked me about doing this podcast and like, well, is there any money in it? No. Who cares? I'm I'm sorry if I'm I'm like breaking some rules here. Sorry, Jeremy, because I know that uh, Slay House Publishing uh, for him is a way of of you know earning money. And I, to, to be fair, I think the exchange of goods and services. I think that's all good. And I I do think I want him to be successful with Slay House Publishing because I do want him to be able to do the thing that he loves and be able to like feed his family while doing that. I think that's very valiant. But I didn't start doing a podcast because I wanted to make money. You know, I did it because I love literature and I love talking about this stuff. And I really wanted to talk about this stuff with the people who are writing, you know, yeah. these stories. That's my motivation. I, I'm not looking to make this into a side hustle. And I think that we've been conditioned to be like, well, if you're not working on a side hustle, then what are you doing? You're not really contributing. Yeah. How many times do I come home and like I have to turn on something? I can't just be. And I, I, I constantly wonder about, like, why is that? Why can't I just be? Sometimes I want to smack your phone out of your hand. You totally can. I mean, please don't break my $1,000 phone, but smack it out of my hand. I Like, I struggle. This is a real struggle for me. I struggle to just be. How do you just be? I worked two jobs my whole life. I've never known a moment when I'm not like working two hustles, when I'm not doing all of the things that I'm supposed to be doing for a future. I I, I just like, it breaks my brain. Do you ever feel that same way? Yeah, but I also sleep more than you. So I know how to just be. I can't sleep. I, 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 that's another thing. I struggle to sleep. I struggle to stay asleep, I guess I should say. Because I'll, I'll wake up three or four times in the night. I don't know. I just, uh, maybe I'm just wrapped up in, in this, like, hopelessness about the way that the world just kind of treats us all the time. Like, we gotta be, we have to, you're so comfortable with silence, and I am never comfortable with it. I can't stand it. Yeah, silence and me are good old friends. I, and I, I can't, I can't deal with it. I don't, I don't know why. So I look at this book. I, I think like you know, because uh, sibling Dex is just like, what am I here for? <laughs> And I, I, I question that same thing all the time. What am I here for? What am I doing? And this book is all about that. This book that, that I believe was written in the pandemic when everybody was having this crisis. Like, what are we here for? What are we even doing? And and Becky Chambers, I think, feels that as a millennial, uh, you know, kind of expressed that that feeling of just like constantly being bombarded and overwhelmed by like the sense of obligation. Like you have to be, you have to do, you have to come see and conquer, you know, carpe diem. Otherwise, what are you doing? And the answer in this book, the answer that this book posits, I think through Moscap is very different from what we've come to expect from the world. You're talking about our favorite passage. Yeah. 
you want to describe that passage? Well, I mean, I can attempt to, but I know I won't do it justice. I'll probably completely. Hey, let's let's work on on your self esteem here and know that I've I been believe... working on my self esteem for thirty four years. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be able to fix that in a podcast. I'm not saying that I'm going to fix it in a podcast. I'm just saying, like, let's let's use some words of affirmation here. I think you're way more capable than you give yourself credit for. So, Moscap pretty much presents to Dex the idea of, and I'll let you fill in the gaps. Wherever the gaps are, Trevor. Um, he presents to them um, I said he again. Damn it. I'm sorry. It presents to them if humans after creating us for the sole purpose of you know, working for them, you know, slaving for them, if, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. Um, if they created us and then, you know, we became sentient and realized we no longer wanted to do our, you know, purpose. Mm-hmm. We no longer wanted to work for the humans. Um, if humans were able to accept that, and that we wanted to go off and, and be our own beings and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. watch stalagmites <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and yeah, watch right. frogs right. and, you know, just be robots for the sake of being robots. <laughs> you know, we have, we have no purpose now. We just do what we want to do. If humans are willing to accept that... Um, you know, why can't they accept that of themselves? Yeah, why can't they accept that of themselves? Um, more, yeah, more or less. That's yeah. I mean, the 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 message that I kind of got out of this, because Dex kind of can't figure it out. Dex just like, I don't understand. What what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to accomplish? And they keep saying, yeah. "I have everything." Right. You know, I have everything, so why am I unhappy? Yeah, I enjoy what I do. I'm good at what I do, but I'm still unhappy. Yeah. What is my purpose? Yeah. And Moss Cap's just kind of like, why do you got to define it that way? Yeah. Why can't you just exist like everything else exists? This is just part of the flow, man. It's just, you know, you come in, you go. Like, that's just life. And there's beauty in that. There's beauty in that moment. There's beauty in the acceptance. You don't have to be or do anything other than you. And that's enough. And I think that that whole mentality pushes so hard against what capitalism teaches us. You know, what this unfair system teaches us. We're always taught to, to want more, to consume more, to have more. And it's kind of like, well, 
you know, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't. Just don't. <laughs> I I think about the utopian, and I I think about something like this, which is what we would call solar punk uh, literature. Solar punk being, um, you know, all about trying to envision the, a human future that is more palatable than the one we live in, right? Instead of envisioning constant dystopias where the world just blows up and falls apart because of the fact that we can't fucking figure it out, Solarpunk suggests like, but what if we did figure it out? And furthermore, how could we use our imagination to fuel our pursuit of alternatives to the moment we live in? What if we actually applied ourselves toward thinking outside of the 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 confines of capitalism to perceive a better, more human society. And I think that that is super important because we all live in this moment where it's like capitalism is the only truth and it's it, that's a lie, right? It's set up this expectation for us that there's no alternative but this. And I think that that's a, the, the greatest lie we tell ourselves all the time is that we can do better. And I think that solar punk allows us to push – it gives us an option to push back against that. And in this case, the option is like, well, what if you just didn't? Like what if you just looked at yourself and said, you know what, maybe this is enough. Like maybe you don't need a purpose. Maybe our flaw is in accepting that Nothing else needs purpose, but we somehow have to. Do we look at a dog and we think, what is that dog's purpose in life? I was about to say, do dogs need a purpose? Does Callie need a purpose? No. She lives her best life. She has tummy screws. That dog is like a teddy bear, I swear to God. She just needs her daddy. She does like me. That's true. That's her purpose. She just needs... Yeah. Just needs daddy cuddles it, It's on. just kind of like, why is it that we're so willing to accept so many other things, you know, just uh, don't no, don't need to live with purpose? You know, why do we poison ourselves with this idea that we must always produce, we must always consume, we must always be a part of this cycle? Why can't we just accept that maybe... Treating one another equitably is enough. Treating ourselves as important is enough. And then the best part of the book. <laughs> There's the very last part of the book. I love the construction of this kind of mirrored um, experience in the story. Becky Chambers beautifully crafts this uh, story arc where we begin the story with a very shitty tea monk. Dex has no idea what they are doing. And then uh, kind of learns how to serve tea. But the very first, you remember that first part? Like Dex comes in and is serving tea for the first time and has no clue what they're doing. And they just ruin the experience. But then they get better. Yep. And... um Dex kind of learns how to field problems and and give people the right kind of tea. Um, and the woman that sits down with Dex at the very beginning is like, I will accept your tea. It's the, it's the wrong kind of tea, but I'll accept it. Uh, 
because you're doing your best. Yeah. And then we get to the very end where Dex, Dex is having their breakdown in front of Mosscap. And Mosscap is trying to help them. And, and Mosscap surprises them with uh, <laughs> a blanket laid down with pillows mm-hmm. and tea. Uh, what? Its oh, own little tea station. It made a fire mm-hmm. from a, a door. <laughs> a door. That they went to... <laughs> What would you call it? It's they, like a monastery. It was like went, they climbed, yeah. they went through this forest and climbed this mountain to get up to this monastery that had been abandoned for probably thousands of years. A couple hundred, yeah. A couple hundred, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he broke down this door. <laughs> he read, they, sorry, it, it, because it's Moscap. It read a book, learned how to build a fire, and then made this comfortable little blanket and pillow set up for Dex and somehow scrounged um like nettles or something for yeah, tea. For tea and the worst tea. Worst tea the Dex had ever had. And but Dex drinks it and even has seconds. And yeah, made both of us cry. Oh I I cried through the whole fucking book. I laugh cried. It was it was ugly crying. I didn't cry until that last scene. I don't know what it was that had such a chokehold on me in that last scene, but it was just oh, every bit of it broke me. Every bit of it. Even when I was trying to reread to you the passage that I felt was most important in the whole book, I was crying. I could I couldn't keep I couldn't even perform that part because I was like I'm just it breaks me. But it was just like a robot. Understood the importance of the tea. Of rest. Too. Of rest. Of rest. And he was, <laughs> I thought he was going to try it. I thought it was trying to get Dex to, you know, have a therapy session. A little bit, yeah. But I guess, I mean, in all reality, they'd been, what, hiking together for like, Oh, three oh, days, like days, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that it, had days been of not weeks, yeah. days of therapy. <laughs> it's so yeah, it's so funny. So Moscap was just like, here, just drink the damn tea. <laughs> <laughs> just drink this tea. <laughs> and Dex is like, this is the worst tea ever. But okay, thank you. But thank you. I like the idea your, behind it. Your efforts have been noted. I this listen. This book is a warm hug. This this it book is was. a warm blanket. Um, just a, a, made it immediately into my top. It might even be fucking my favorite book. I don't even know. It's definitely it's, top five for me. It's top. Yeah, it, I was gonna say top ten. No, you're right. I think it's it's probably top five for me. This book was so good. It speaks to everything that I need out of literature. Everything that I hope for as a person. I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not the happiest person in the world. I don't know if I hide that very well on this podcast at all, but I am a very, I'm a bitter person about the way that the world is and the way that the world treats people, myself included. This book was, I needed it. It speaks to what I want out of life, not necessarily, you know, well, definitely what I need out of life. I think it definitely, I think it was emotional for you because it, ow. Smack this not out of that desk. 
<laughs> I think it spoke to you personally because you really do struggle with your purpose. Oh, yeah, all the time. And I wonder if it's... I, I ask myself, do you struggle with purpose because of what others think? You know? Are you... Do you feel outside pressure of what you feel like you should be doing? You know? Um, is it internal pr pressure? Is it God willing? I mean, I hope it's not me. I hope you don't feel like I'm putting pressure on you to be something. Because, um, you know, I support you 110% for whatever you choose. But... Just be. Be whatever the fuck you want to be. If I want to be a WWE wrestler. No. <laughs> I, I retract that statement. <laughs> <laughs> be whatever the fuck you want to be as long as it's not a WWE wrestler. Okay? <laughs> I was having a serious fucking moment there and you ruined it. No, I, I was... The only reason I cracked a joke is because if I didn't, I was going to cry on... on <laughs> <laughs> live on this podcast and I'm not ready for that I'm not ready for that emotion that means a lot to me though people are going to listen to this and they're just going to be like what is happening <laughs> this is not snappy witty radio I didn't come maybe, here for maybe, marital counseling maybe they need a therapy session where's our tea damn it <laughs> <laughs> We, we need our tea. We need our tea. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite kind of tea? Oh, it depends on my mood. But as of late, my favorite has been that that orange. Oh yeah, what the is orange roll? The orange roll. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, it's got uh, it's got some citrus rinds. It's got some sugar. Um, it's very sugary. Yeah, it's it's a very sugary, uh, but it's a, a Chinese black tea um, at, at the base, and then the the layers of uh, citrus and sugar, you know, to kind of make it taste like oh, and a little bit of cinnamon, of course. Um, yeah, to make kind of a, a cinnamon, a, an orange roll kind of uh, taste, like a yeah. frosted orange roll. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good good choice, good tea. Let me guess yours. Oh, please. Is it an oolong? No, it is not actually an oolong. Damn it. That's Let me a guess pretty again. good choice, though. Mm, is it your perfume tea? That is pretty good. You're talking about a jasmine green tea. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's a um, special kind of, of green tea. But no, it is not actually the jasmine. That is very soothing. That's probably my second favorite. What is it then? Uh, I I think it's probably Earl Grey. Honestly, mm, simple. Yeah, I really like the the black tea. Um, that goes a long way. Uh, and I I like the I like I like adding citrus into it though, uh, like some grapefruit rind or um, you know something like that because the bergamot oil is good. Uh, but you know, like Earl Grey can be very bitter. And I don't, I don't add sugar or cream to it or anything like that. I just drink it straight. So, um, lightening up the flavor profile a little bit with with some citrus, I think, is really important. 
So that that would be my favorite tea. Uh, jasmine green, probably a second. I do love a wide variety, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, listener, if you have a favorite kind of tea that you would like to share with us after you read this book, uh, you can hit us up on social media and you can find us um, at Slate House Litbit on Twitter. I think it's the same Instagram. You can also just email us at editor at slatehouse.com if you have an opinion. And um, yeah, Caitlin, thank you for just like taking a moment to validate for me mm-hmm. that I can just be. You cannot be a wrestler. That was my one aspiration in life. Wow. I'm sorry to kill that. But you could just be anything else. Thank you. You're welcome. I love you. I love you. Love you listeners. See you next week.